0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. So good to have you with us today. Uh, I've been off for the last four weeks, uh, at least from speaking, uh, which has been a great break and rest for me. We've had guest speakers uh, three of the last four weeks in our Voices series, and then John Alexander jumped into that as well. And I just wanted to say thank you, first and foremost, to John. Uh, Every time John Alexander speaks, I have someone come to me and say, he gets better every time. It's been like the last 15 times he's spoken Uh, I've had someone say that to me, and so I always smile a little bit, but want to thank him for his faithfulness and his availability to our church. And then I want to thank Bob Merritt, our previous senior pastor, who spoke last weekend. Always a treat to have Bob come and speak, and he has been a mentor to me in my life. And if you're kind of new to our church, I would want you to know that a big part of why Eagle Brook is the way it is is the ways that God has worked through him over the years. So thank you to all of our guest speakers the last four weeks. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Today we are beginning a new series called The Four Enemies of the Soul. And if you talk to any army commander and you're talking about any sort of battle that you're gonna try to win and they'll say, "What, what are some of the keys to victory? The army commander will tell you, you gotta know your enemy what are their strategies what are their tendencies because when you understand who your enemy is it gives you a profound advantage with that in mind what are some of the enemies of our soul your soul is not going to show up on an x-ray x-ray but it's the most real part of who you are and your soul has some enemies There are some enemies of your soul that want to pull you away from God, they want to lead you to sin, and they want to steal your joy and your peace. And So one of the questions that we're going to be asking in this series is, what if our struggles are spiritual in nature? See, we tend to think if we're struggling with stress or discouragement, and maybe you are right now, or we're struggling with negative thoughts or obsessive thoughts, we think, well, my problem is that other person, my problem is my circumstance and my situation, But what if part of our struggle is spiritual in nature? I think this series is going to be a game changer for many of us because we're going to discover who our real enemy is. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, we tend to think that it is, don't we? We tend to think my problem is my ex my problem, my struggle is with my kids. My kids are driving me crazy right now. We, t- we tend to think that our struggle is against our spouse, our sibling, our parents, teacher, coach, politician, or just that group of people. But Paul says, that no, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world. And it's against the spiritual forces of evil that exist in the heavenly realms. He says that's where our real struggle lies. Which is why today, in the first week of this series, the enemy of our soul that we're gonna look at is Satan. Several years ago, my wife and I were sitting out on our screen porch, and my neighbor texted me. He said, are your kids home? I said, no, they're they're over at the neighbor's house. He said, well, make sure they stay there He said, there's a black bear in my backyard. And then he sent me this video of this black bear just walking around his backyard. Apparently, he's hungry because he's like trying to take down the bird feeder here or something. Now, I was pretty excited about this. When he showed me this video, I was like, oh, that's really cool. My wife was freaking out. My neighbor texted back a little bit later. He said, beautiful animal, more scared of you than you are of him. All good. I showed that to my wife. I was like, it's all good. (laughs) He's more afraid of you than you are of him. But the next day, when I went out to fertilize my backyard, and I got to the part where the woods were, where this black bear had come from, no yard has ever been fertilized faster. I mean, I had my edge guard, speedy green. I was speedy. I was like running with that thing, looking over my shoulder the whole time. Because when you got a bear in the backyard, you're on watch. You are on guard. Look at how Peter describes Satan in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you have a lion or a bear prowling around in your backyard, you're on watch. You don't send your little Shih Tzu Bishan Pookie out to the backyard to take a wee-wee. You're like, oh, I'll just put him in his cage for a little longer. He can hold it. You tell your kids, hey, Stay where you are, don't go outside. You start to call your neighbors and warn them because there's a bear, there's a lion in your backyard. Peter says Satan is like that. Satan is prowling around and he is looking for someone to devour. When I first became a Christian, I was embarrassed by Satan. And what I mean by that is when I would talk to somebody who was kind of new to their faith or they weren't sure what they believed about God, I would not want to talk to them about Satan. I mean, it just seemed kind of weird to me that there's this spiritual being who's the embodiment of evil. It's felt a little Star wars You know, it's like the dark side of the force who exists, and i was like, ah, I just don't want to talk to them. But it's kind of embarrassing. Or I had this picture of Satan that he's wearing a, a red cape and holding a pitchfork, and I sort of instinctively knew that that didn't exist, so I didn't talk about Satan. Even in my speaking and in my preaching, I I just never really brought it up. But over the last decade or so, there's been two things that have shifted within me. The first is there is an evil that exists in our world today that goes beyond just, well, that was a mistake that person made. There are some things that are so evil They are so vile that the only way to make sense of them is a spiritual being like Satan. And the second thing that began to shift in me is that I realized the character of Satan was the problem. There is no little figure with a red cape and a pitchfork, but just because there's no red cape and pitchfork doesn't mean that Satan doesn't exist in the movie Usual Suspects. One of the characters, I think, says it really well when he says this, nobody believed he was real. Talking about Satan, that was his power. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Many people today look at a spiritual being like Satan like, oh, I don't think he exists. And maybe that's just how Satan wants it. So the question I want to ask today is this, who is Satan. And what are his strategies in your life and in my life? So who is Satan? Satan was a fallen angel who rebelled against God. Here's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12. It says this, there was a war in heaven. So there's this war that breaks out, spiritually speaking, between Michael and his angels. Michael is the archangel. And they were fighting against the dragon. The dragon is Satan. But it says the dragon wasn't strong enough and he lost his place in heaven. The dragon, that ancient serpent called the devil, was hurled down to earth and his angels with him and they lead the whole world astray. Elsewhere in the book of Isaiah, it says that the reason that Satan rebelled against God in the first place was because of pride. So Satan was an angel, Lucifer, created by God, Who then decided he didn't want to submit to God. Who then led a rebellion against God. Took a bunch of different angels with him. And the spiritual world has been in conflict ever since. It's worth noting that when the Bible refers to Satan, it always uses a personal pronoun. He's never an it. It's never like an evil force or spirit that's kind of just lurking around. It always refers to him as Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the liar, the accuser, he is a personal being. That's who Satan is. What does Satan want to do? What are his strategies? Well, John ten ten great verse says this, that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his MO right there. He wants to steal your peace. When you're feeling a lack of peace, Satan's loving that. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to kill your joy. He wants to destroy your family and your future. Now, you may hear that and you're like, wow, that, that sounds kind of dramatic. And he's going to steal my family and my future and, and destroy those things. But as I was studying it this week, I began to write down the ways that Satan works. And I was struck by how subtle they are. There was four words that I wrote down. The first one was seduction. The second one was Distraction deception and accusation that's how Satan wants to work in the world and in your life and in my life today they will start with seduction there's a guy in the old testament king Solomon who was considered to be the wisest person who's ever lived he had great wisdom from God and then at one point in his life he begins to marry women who don't believe in God and they pull him away now if you've ever read this in scripture before you're going well hold on This guy's the wisest person who ever lived. That's a pretty foolish decision that he just made. Why would King Solomon do that? Well, he was seduced. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Before he betrayed Jesus, it says that Satan entered into him. What does that mean? Does that mean that his eyes turned red and he started talking in a different voice? No. It means that he betrayed Jesus because of his greed and his love for money Satan saw his love for money his greed and he used that to get him to betray Jesus my point is this is what Satan wants to do he wants you and he wants me to look at something and go I've got to have that I, I don't care if it's disobeying God I don't care if I know I probably shouldn't do that I mean i just gonna feel so good I've got to have that seduction Second way that Satan operates is distraction. In the Garden of Eden, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, are walking along and all of a sudden Satan, described as a serpent, approaches them. And what does he do? He he immediately tries to distract Eve. Don't, Don't look at all the fruit that God told you you could eat. Look at the one fruit that God told you not to eat. Don't think about all the blessings that God has poured out in your life. Just look at the one thing that God might be holding out on you for. Satan wants to do this in your life, he wants to do it in my life. He doesn't want you to think about the fact that you're gonna die one day. Just pretend that, you know, I mean, I know it's gonna happen, but just kind of pretend like I'll figure that out when I get there. Just keep scrolling, just keep clicking. It's distraction. Here's a third way that Satan operates. It's deception. And I think this is the primary way that Satan operates. In fact, here's what Jesus said about Satan. He said this, there's no truth in him. None. When he lies, he speaks in his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Once upon a time, my favorite Timberwolves basketball player was Ricky Rubio. And Rubio was a native of Spain, so his native language was Spanish. But they asked him one time in English, uh, hey, what do you think about Kevin Garnett, another Timberwolves legend? What do, you, do you like him? What do you think about him? And here was how Rubio responded. He said, he's a wiener. He said, he's just like me. We're both wieners. Now, what did he mean when he said that? Did he mean that Garnett was a hot dog? No. What he meant was that Garnett was a winner, but English isn't his native language. Spanish is his native language, so give him a little bit of grace. Here's what the Bible says about Satan. What is his native language? It's not English. Satan's native language is lies. Satan wants you to go through life and all of a sudden just have this little thought, God's not going to forgive you. If you think God's going to forgive you for that, I mean, I'm not going to forgive you for that. Satan wants you to have thoughts like, you're fat, you're ugly, you don't have what it takes, you're not as good as that other person. Look at how well they're doing. He wants little thoughts to pop in your head. Don't, don't hope in God. God's not, you're going to pray to God. God's not going to answer that prayer. You've prayed that prayer for like three years and God hasn't answered it. So why are you wasting your time? I mean, I'm not even sure God exists. Satan wants you to hear those kinds of lies in your head every day. He wants to deceive you. Here's the final strategy of Satan. He wants to accuse you. And I think this might be the worst part. Because here's what Satan's gonna do. He's gonna try to seduce you. And if you go, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I really want that. It's gonna feel so good. You know what's gonna happen? He's going to go back around, change outfits, and come back to you and go, and you call yourself a Christian? I, mean, I was talking to a friend one time, and he said that before he was married, he wanted to have sex, and he's like, oh, it's just going to feel so good. And he knew that the Bible had said to wait until marriage, but he was like, I just, I just wanted it so bad. And I had these thoughts in my head of like, oh, I'm not hurting anybody else, and we're in love, and it's going to feel so good. He said, when I went ahead and had sex, he said it was almost unbelievable. He said, within a day, my thought life changed. All of a sudden, he said, I had thoughts like this. You're dirty. God's not going to forgive you for that. You better hope other people don't find out about that because if they find out about that and you call yourself a Christian, like, oh, they're going to they're really think differently of you. Just this week, my wife and I had a rough day. It wasn't like anything specific that we were fighting about, but, but honestly, I was just crabby and irritable, and when I get crabby and irritable, I can get really critical of people, and so throughout the day, I was kind of pointing out, like, well, you didn't do this right. You did that wrong, and I'm impatient. Go quicker. Speed up, and my wife was kind of, you know, back to me, like, you know, we're pointing out what each other's doing wrong, and I went to bed that night, and I laid down on my pillow, and I felt this tightness in my chest, And what started out as kind of a healthy conviction of like, hey, why do you act that way? Why why do you behave that way? What is it about you that wants to point out what someone else is doing wrong all the time? What started out as kind of a healthy thought in my mind, all of a sudden I started having thoughts like this, you're a terrible husband. Your, Your family would be better off without you today. And the thoughts just begin to spiral from there. And that's what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants to accuse you. Revelation chapter 12 says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. So Satan was in heaven. He got pushed out of heaven. He's been thrown down to earth. But who is he? He's the accuser. Says he's the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Those are Satan's strategies in your life. He wants to seduce, he wants to distract, he wants to deceive, and then he wants to accuse. Ephesians 6.13 says it this way, it says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We just talked about what those strategies are. But the question I want to ask is this, how do you stand firm how can you live a life where you're not wavering this way and that way and your thoughts are taking you here and there but how can you stand firm? Here's the first way, you've got to watch and you've got to pray. Jesus once said these words to his disciples. He said, "Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation." I mean, this is this is how you overcome temptation. You watch for situations that are going to tempt you, and then you pray about them. He says, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes it's not necessarily the big temptations that get us? I mean, what I mean by that is if I'm walking out of church today and one of you comes up to me and says, hey, man, you want to buy some black tar heroin? No. I mean, I... I I'm not going to be like, well, let me pray about that. Let me, you know, here's the pros and cons. Like, I don't really need to think too much about that. The answer is no. That's that's not a personal temptation for me. But I have other things in life that are a temptation for me. And Satan knows exactly what those are. The question is, when it comes to you, do you know for yourself what those temptations are? I mean, Satan knows what your weak spot is, but are you aware of what your weak spot is? For some of us, it might be a certain situation where you are in the break room and you just find yourself tempted to gossip. And you go down there and you kind of start, you know, blasting upper management and talking about your coworker, and it just kind of comes out. For some of us, it might be the boardroom where you're tempted to just power over and dominate people. Might be the computer, it might be certain websites might be business travel when you find yourself all alone. But Jesus said these words, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Before I leave this point, it's worth noting that Jesus said those words to his disciples. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was about to go to the cross, and he was sweating blood. That's how stressed out Jesus was. He didn't want to have to deal with the pain of the cross. But he wanted his disciples to stay awake with him. He's like, guys, stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Watch and pray. Because here's what he understood. Jesus understood that one of Satan's strategies is to isolate us. I had never noticed this before, but I went back to the Adam and Eve story. And I realized that Satan didn't go up to Adam and Eve at the same time. He didn't go up to him and go, hey, um, did God really say you couldn't eat from that one tree? Because Eve could have turned to Adam and been like, I thought that's what he said. Did he say that? And Adam would be like, yes, he did say, but he wasn't there. Eve was all by herself. Satan's strategy is to isolate and lie, isolate and lie. In fact, can you think of a situation in your life where you made a bad decision, like a big sin, bad decision hurt your life significantly? Did you make that decision at 10 o'clock in the morning at a coffee shop when you were at a Bible study? Oh, no, no, that wasn't where you were. Was it Christmas morning when you and Grandma Ruth and Aunt Mary decided to knock off a bank? (laughs) No, it wasn't that either. It wasn't Christmas morning with with Aunt Mary. You guys didn't know. Here's my point. Oftentimes, our temptations in life have a lot to do with who we're with and where we are which is why you could make one decision right now this week that would change your life. And I'm not even being overdramatic about that. One decision right now that you would look back at three years from now, point to this week, and go, my life changed. Here's the one decision you could make right now. If there is someone in your life, a friend, an acquaintance, who leads you away from God and towards sin and temptation stop hanging out with them. If there is a circumstance or a situation that when you put yourself in that circumstance or in that situation and you find yourself tempted, stop going there. Just one simple decision. Stop spending as much time with that person. Stop going to that place. And your life could significantly begin to change for the better. Jesus says you gotta watch and you gotta pray. Here's the second way that you stand firm. You keep your vest tight. So I mentioned earlier Ephesians chapter 6. It says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And a little bit later, here's what Paul writes. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate was a protective piece of armor that would protect you from someone else's bullet or spear. And righteousness is right living. It's obeying God here's what he's saying he's saying that some of us in life are struggling not because of a lack of talent not because of a lack of skill but because there's a chink in the armor there's a character issue in our life that has opened us up it's exposed us to attacks from the enemy reminds me of the story of the U.S. soldiers whose Black Hawk helicopter was shot down over Mogadishu, Somalia. Happened in 1993, you might remember the movie Black Hawk Down, which was about that incident. You also, if you were alive at that time, may remember the picture of a bloodied and naked American soldier being dragged through the streets of Mogadishu. What happened was these soldiers were in a Black Hawk helicopter, it got shot down, it fell into the street, these soldiers, many of them were still alive, but when they got out of that helicopter, they were in a street fight, and it was close quarters combat. But the part of the story that stuck out to me the most is there was a couple of soldiers who were in a hiding position, and one of them got hot. It's so over 100 degrees in Mogadishu and he had this bulletproof vest on and he thought, I just need to loosen this vest. It's so hot. I just, just for a moment, I'm just gonna unzip this thing and kind of loosen it. And the moment he did that, a sniper from across the street shot a bullet that went right where the bulletproof vest would have been. Through his heart, out his back, and lodged into his bulletproof vest that was now dangling off his back. He died moments later. And here's how that story, I believe, applies to what we're talking about today. The way Satan brings people down is when they loosen their vest. Satan is looking for some opening, just a little crevice, just a little crease that he can wiggle his way into. He's waiting for that moment when you go, I'm just at home by myself, and I don't think anybody's going to find out. I'll, I'm just going to loosen my best. He's waiting for that moment when you've been working really hard all week, and you're tired and depleted, and you and your spouse have been at each other, and you're not connecting, and there's no intimacy, and your coworker says, hey, let's, who's kind of attractive, let, let, let's go grab a drink. And you think, oh, it's, just, it's just a drink. Oh, I'll just loosen my vest just a little bit. It's when a teenager or a young adult says, you know, I'm just going to try it once. I, you know, There's all this peer pressure. Everybody's kind of pressuring me to do this. And it will be funny if I do it. I'm just going to try it once. I'll just hide it once. I'll just sneak out once. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to who have said, well, I just did that once. And then I thought, well, I might as well just do it again. And you might think, well, that's not going to happen to me. But there was a soldier in Somalia who thought the same thing. See, remember, Satan's not trying to spook you. Satan is trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy you and your family and your future and your reputation and your relationships. you got to tighten your vest. What, What do I mean by that? I mean, if there is a small indiscretion in your life, if there's something and you're like, it's not really that big of a deal, you know, I, I mean, I know I probably shouldn't be doing it, but it's, it's not really a big thing right now, you got to take that more seriously. Eliminate that. Get rid of that. Take this right now as a message from God to go, you know what, I need, to, I need to deal with that in my life. I need to tighten my vest. Here's the third way to stand against the strategies of Satan, and it's this, you got to stand your ground. Three times, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. A prince at that time was a political official who oversaw a huge region. That means Satan has a lot of power here in this world. Does that surprise you? Doesn't surprise me. Just reading an article about 28 schoolgirls who were hospitalized after using a Ouija board. Ouija board is something where it said that if you get into it deeply, you can communicate with the dead, something that God strictly prohibits us from doing. And these 28 schoolgirls got deep into it and all of a sudden several began to faint and several began to have panic attacks and 28 of them had to be rushed to the hospital. This isn't the first time this has happened. In 2022, 11 teenagers collapsed after dabbling in a Ouija board. What is it about a Ouija board that's so appealing to us? Well, there's this darkness, and there's this evil, and that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Satan's work in our world. Sex trafficking is at an all-time high. We tend to look at slavery, and we think, oh, slavery has ended. Actually, more slavery today than at any other point in human history. Today, it's boys and girls being sold to adults for sexual pleasure in a sex trafficking industry. It's Jeffrey Epstein and his island, and it's everything else in between happening all throughout the world, and it's evil. Rape, abuse. There is an evil that exists in our world today that cannot be described as anything other than satanic. It's one of the reasons I believe that Satan exists. But here's what I want you to know today, and here's what I want to remind you of today. Satan is under the control and the authority of Jesus Christ. Satan has been defeated. We're not waiting for him to be defeated in the future at some point. It's already happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ defeated Satan once and for all. Now, if you're kind of paying attention right now, you're going, well, hold on a second. You just told me there's more slavery and sex trafficking today than at any other point in human history. It doesn't seem like Satan's been defeated. Seems like Satan's running a pretty good business there. It seems like he's alive and well. Maybe the best analogy of this is D-Day. June 6, 1944, it was the day that the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy. And for all intensive purposes, the war was won on that day. The Allies knew it, the Nazis, the enemy knew it. The victory had been secured. But it wasn't until V-Day, May 7th, 1945, that all the shooting stopped. Almost a full year later on V-Day, when the Nazis actually signed their surrender and all of the shooting ceased. Indeed, more soldiers died between D Day and V Day than at any other point in the war. Just think about that for a moment. The the victory had been secure, the war had won, but more soldiers died after that day than they had died before that day. Spiritually speaking, Satan is a defeated enemy. He knows it, Jesus knows it, he has been defeated. But that doesn't mean that Satan's not going to try to wreak, wreak havoc. It doesn't mean that he is not going to try to harm people in their life. Look at what the Bible says about this. It says, for the devil has come down to you in great anger. Why? Because he knows that he has little time. Knowing that he has little time, what does Satan do? As much damage as possible. He wants to destroy as many reputations, relationships, people's faith as he possibly can. That's why you and I, we have to stand our ground. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, resist him, talking about Satan, resist him standing firm in the faith. Four different times in Ephesians chapter 6, the verse I read earlier. Four different times, Paul says, You got to stand. You got to stand your ground. You got to stand firm. You got to hold the line. No matter how our culture begins to drift away from God, and no matter how how the enemy begins to work in popular thought, even if the world's going, Well, that's not a sin, don't worry about that, but the Bible says it is, you got to be willing to stand your ground. Even if you have thoughts that are lies about God, you got to be willing to stand your ground. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He's talking about how to fight against the enemy's attack. He says this, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? It's the word of God. If you had a lion that was coming at you, or a bear, and you had a sword, would you use it? I mean, if I had a lion coming at me right now, and this is a kind of a real sword, so I gotta be careful how much I'm swinging this around. But <laughs> if there is a lion coming at me, you know, and I had this sword, I'm, I'm probably gonna use it. I don't think I'm just gonna go, going to use my bare hands. No, I'm gonna pick that thing up, I'm gonna use it. The Bible says that Satan is like a lion, he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. And here's the problem. Some of us have a sword. It's sitting on your bookshelf collecting dust. It's the word of God. Some of us have a sword, but it's on the third page of our apps. And we don't really get over there that much. And when we get a reminder of like the verse of the day or something, we're like, oh, I'm just so busy. I'm just dismiss that. And we have a sword. But we're not using it. Is there a verse that you need to memorize this week? Is there a verse that deals with an issue that you're struggling with? Maybe it's anger or stress. Or maybe it's trusting God and believing his promise. And you need to say, you know what? I need to memorize a verse. I need one or two verses that I've memorized that I can use as a weapon that I can pick up as a sword and fight against those thoughts that Satan might want to put in my mind. Some of us need to commit one or two verses to memory this week. When Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, what did Jesus do? He responded back with Scripture. That was how he fought that battle. As we close today, I want to do something a little bit different instead of praying, I want to read to you Psalm 91. And as I read this to you, I hope it's not just you listening to someone read the Bible, but I hope you receive this as a promise and a blessing from God. That you would receive the promise of his protection. The Bible says that when we're in Christ, God holds us in his hand, and he protects us, We have nothing to fear. No scheme of the enemy can overcome us when we're trusting in God and walking in the light. So if you want to close your eyes or open up your palms, you can. If you don't want to, you can just sit and receive this. But hear this as the word of God into your life. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. If you make the Lord your refuge, If you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Receive that as the word of God into your life. The protection of God, the blessing of his promise that every believer has Christ. Next week, we're going to do something really unique. We're going to continue on in our series, Enemies of the Soul, but the message, we did it at the Faribault Prison. And it's the first time I've told in 30 years a church has ever been allowed in a prison like that in our state. And I don't think you're going to want to miss it. It's going to be the message from this series, but it's going to be a powerful experience and moment. We'd love to have you join us next weekend. Thanks for being here this weekend.